setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. As most of you know, I'm professor of psychology at the University of Albany. I'm the author of Understanding Marijuana. I'm the chair of the executive board at the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And I pen the Ask Dr. Mitch column for the High Times Magazine. Today we're going to chat with Jeff Farrow from the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. And we're also going to have our usual segment, Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Jeff Farrow is part of the organizing department at the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union. Thanks so much for joining us on Burning Issues. Thank you, Dr. Mitch. Well, so, Jeff, I think the most burning issue really is how could workers in the cannabis industry benefit from a union? Well, I think all workers can benefit from a union, and I don't see cannabis workers any different than other workers. So, uh, you know, workers are coming together for much the same issues in the cannabis industry. You know, we see this involvement, this evolvement of the industry to going from uh, underground industry to a commercial industry. And, it, and by doing such, you see, you know, the operators in the industry forming coalitions and in, in, uh, associations. You see the advocacy groups for patients or consumers coming together. And it's a natural, you know, progression for workers to say, hey, where's my voice? Where do I, ha- where do I fit into this process? So, so I feel like know, I got to... I got to make this a little more concrete. So imagine uh, I'm a bud tender, and I I know you guys are going to need a little bit out of my check every week or every month. What's in it for me? Well, you know, you've got to look at this industry just like any others. And why do other workers, you know, participate in a union? It's it's collective action, and you know, industry standards of organized versus unorganized workers clearly shows that there's a financial benefit to workers that are in the industry. Their benefits are generally better than other workers in similar comparable industries. And then if you look at the, the life um, product, the work-life product, workers in a unionized industry have a much ple- more pleasant you know, work life where they have some say in the different working conditions that they have and the safety that they have for their families. They can come home and feel secure about the job that they do and be proud of it. So better pay, better benefits, and a better working day? Absolutely. I mean, that sounds uh, ideal to me. I'm curious, are there comparable unions in the U.S. already? Can I, can I say, look, what you know from, say, food workers is going to apply to me as, as some guy in the cannabis industry? No, there's not. If you look at the UFCW and our 1.3 million members that we have across the country, every one of our core industries kind of fall into the different aspects of the you know, seed to sale process of cannabis. You know, we have a agricultural division, which is very used to dealing within highly regulated conditions in the country. We have a manufacturing industry for both topicals and consumables. And then, of course, we have retail, which is, you know, most people see us as that. But every one of those industries that we currently have mirror the same kind of issues that cannabis workers would be working in. And so, you know, our experience in working in a highly regulated industry is beneficial to work 
workers are experiencing dealing with the legislative and political process is very beneficial to workers. And, and to be honest, you know, it's the one area where we actually spill over and for an industry that's trying to, you know, become legitimized within the, the country. And we know that there's a lot of people, you know, the momentum is going in the right direction, but that kind of, you know, partnership with workers and the employers in this, we can really fix some of the issues that are standing out there for this industry. Well, and then I'm eager to know if I'm owning a cannabis shop or I'm in charge of one of these businesses, uh, is it better for me to actually have union workers there? I absolutely think so. I mean, if you also look at the statistics, you know, a unionized workforce is a happier workforce. Generally, a happier workforce stays around. You don't have the churn. You have somebody who's really bought into the to the business because they feel like they're part of that business. That translates, if you're in the retail component, translate directly to the consumer, which makes the consumer have an, you know, a, a pleasant experience, which makes their a, a brand loyalty. So, you know, of course, an employer would benefit from having a union in their workplace. So it sounds like having a union shop, I'll get happy employees, I'll get less turnover, I'll have a sort of brand loyalty with the folks who are uh, my consumers. Does that seem a fair summary? Yeah, and, and you throw in also the communities in which they work. I mean, there's a lot of benefits that come to that, you know, whether it be a, a local decision maker that's, you know, giving approvals to a business when you have all those things, happy consumers, happy workers, uh, a safe workplace for employees, you know, city councilmen, county commissioners, state legislators, and ultimately, hopefully, the federal government will be much happier about this industry. Well, and so then the big concern always seems to be that uh, somehow this is going to turn into higher prices for consumers in the long run. Does that seem like a common argument? I hear that, but that there's no evidence to that. You know, we represent a lot of employees in other industries that it's not 100% union, and yet the workers there, you know, get superior wages and benefits and working conditions and are much happier in the way they do work, yet the prices that go to the consumers are comparable. So, you know, that isn't necessarily true. And if you look at, you know, some of the leading statistics from economists on what's going on with our race to the bottom, you see where employers who are cutting wages and benefits and hours for workers are not necessarily netting additional, you know, resources for the company, extra capital, what it's actually doing is driving customers to other places. So again, I think they can pay good wages, benefits, and they will recoup that from customers. So have you heard any tales of uh, sort of abuse in this industry in particular or in comparable industries? Well, yes. I mean, there's in, in any industry, there's some abuses. Um, in this industry, because it has not been on the surface, there are all kinds of, you know, potential issues out there because they're not used to dealing in a regulated, you know, um, industry. They, they have practices. And one, I, one comes to mind, you know, we had an issue where some workers from Maine reached out to us where there was a, you know, an employer who was kind of like the big dog in town. They had multiple locations um, called Wellness Connection of Maine. And, you know, they got themselves in the situation where they had, you know, a problem with some of their plants. And they asked these workers who weren't trained properly to apply, you know, a chemical onto the plant to save the plant. And when the workers raised questions about it, um, the employer insisted that they do it. Uh, and, you know, the, the workers were concerned for themselves as well as their patients because this was a medical scenario. And they, they didn't know how that chemical would impact, you know, some of their 
patients that had serious immune deficiencies and things like that. And what ultimately ended up happening, the workers applied it, they got sick, the consumers got sick. And, and so, you know, we helped them address that concern. The employer retaliated against them. And ultimately, we got them their work and, and kept, you know, we're still fighting for them and their rights to collectively take action to improve their work and their customers' uh, experience. But it really does sound like the consumers benefit uh, as well as the workers. It's not just going to uh, support one one crew. Absolutely. I mean, in all of our industries, when they have direct customer contact, our, our members totally understand that the reason they have a job and ours are the co- consumer. And, you know, they're committed to making sure that their experience, again, because they have ownership into their company because they have a voice, you know, they want to make sure that experience is good and they look after them. And then the other big thing that comes up just from people who sort of know unions from the movies is that it's going to be a strike every minute or every three months or something like that. Well, you know, workers don't typically take that extreme of an action. You know, there are a lot of other ways to remedy, you know, disputes. And so low, low percentages of our membership ever result in a strike. And ultimately, that is the worker's decision. And you could imagine how bad the the request must be if the employer, you know, makes an employee take that kind of a dramatic decision. We would try to resolve that through other means without having a strike. But at the end of the day, that's the worker's decision, not ours. We're going to help them through it. I think that's super uh, important to emphasize because it sounds like you guys are really there as kind of the facilitators and the motivators. You don't actually make decisions about what each worker wants. Right. We're a very democratic organization. You know, we our members drive, you know, the type of contract proposals we make, and we use our expertise in knowing how to do that to help, you know, accomplish their goals. And, you know... Again, this isn't always an adversarial situation. I mean, employers aren't bad. Some some of their managers may be bad, um, but but jobs are good. Everybody needs jobs. Our goal is to sit there and try to make everybody, you know, be reasonable and work towards the common goal, which ultimately in this situation would be the consumer, correct? Absolutely. Can you feel – give me sort of a, a sense for uh, if – folks are at a dispensary, say, working, how would you guys come in and help them organize? What would that look like? Well, oftentimes, we, we receive outreach from workers, and I think the more we're out there, I mean, you can Google uh, cannabis workers, and generally, you know, the top three, four of them will be something related to the UFCW. We obviously are searched a lot, and so we get a lot of outreach from workers. It could be really small issues, but it can be significant issues like the Wellness Connection of Maine. Um, But what generally happens is we get together with workers. We try to figure out how to uh, address the concerns that they have. In this industry, we have had a lot of success by actually going to the owners. The the nice thing is, is a lot of these are mom and pop, you know, that have been doing something like this for some time and are trying to, you know, take this opportunity to be an entrepreneur. And the experience that we can bring both in the regulatory and the political arena, you know, gives us some ability to address workers' concern with a less hostile environment. 
but I, but I have to tell you, the industry's tra- changing. You know, we go to a lot of these industry shows. We set up booths at industry shows so we can meet with workers and employers. And in the face of the industry is changing. You know, my biggest fear is that is, you know, the private equity money starts pouring in and it becomes more acceptable. You know, Wall Street, the Wall Street effect is going to come and all these great jobs that could, could be created out there are going to be lost just like the Walmart jobs of today, right? It'll be, I gotcha. you know, race to the bottom. And and so for workers stepping out now gives them that type of protection to make sure and employers, if you know, some of them are going to want to get out of this industry, they're going to, they're going to make a lot of money. And they're going to say, Hey, I've done enough work, I want to relax, I'm going to sell my business. Well, the problem is, is that those employees are currently their family. And they're going to sell to somebody who's going to be looking at it as a way to make money. And, and that gets detached. But by the protection of a collective bargaining agreement, these workers have that kind of security that even when the employer changes, they can have the same kind of voice on the job. And, you know. Thanks so much. Yeah, I get the idea. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break here just for a second. Thanks for turning into Burning Issues. We're talking with Jeff Farrow from the organizing department at the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. And we'll be right back. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. Jeff, thanks again. I just wanted to get back to how could folks contact you guys? How can they find you? Yeah, you can reach us by you know going online and uh, going to CannabisWorkers.org or CannabisWorkersRising.org. 
ufcw.org, or you can go on Facebook and find uh, cannabis workers. That's great. And so tell me, how did you end up doing this kind of work? What, what got you into this business, so to speak? Well, it's kind of funny. From a very early age, my family was really kind of into social justice. You know, I didn't really understand, you know, how they directed that. You know, I ended up, you know, going with my dad, who was a union you know, worker, a pipe fitter and a member of the musicians union to different gigs and events. Um, and understanding that, you know, the, the brotherhood, my godfather was uh, a pipe fitter with my father. So, you know, I, my whole life growing up, I ultimately was sent to private school and I started to see the difference where, you know, the only people that were from working class in this private school were people who were union members' kids. Um, there were doctors and lawyers' kids and business owners' kids, but the only people from working class were union workers' kids. So I started really noticing there. And So when I got to looking for work, you know, I wanted to work in a union industry, but like most people, you take what you can get, and I started working in industries that weren't union, and, you know, they weren't really satisfying. They were just a job, and it wasn't until I really got my first union job that I really really started seeing the power of collective action, the ability to speak out, you know, really being able to bring what's happening on the shop floor to the corporate level so they actually hear what's happening so they can make decisions that are right and actually bargain and compromise with their workers. So, I mean, that's really what got me into it, and that's what got me into working with the UFCW. And, um, you know, it was really exciting when I was assigned to kind of oversee the Cannabis Workers Rising program. It's great because I feel like, there are some parallels between sort of standing up for rights as cannabis users and activists and rights as employees. Absolutely. And if you know that the employees in this industry are extremely brave, you know, because we still have this, you know, states' rights versus federal rights and, you know, the impacts that could happen. And they're really, they're like driving this industry and they're, you know, brave people and, and they're right for this collective action. It's what they do. And so I think the, the relationship between the UFCW, the workers, and ultimately the industry at the end of the day will be a powerful one. It's funny. I had a shirt back in the 70s that said uh, Marijuana Pickers Union, and now it looks like it <laughs> actually might happen someday. So so I'm really delighted and I appreciate the work. What is a, a typical day in a union shop versus a, a sort of regular shop can you can you give us a feel for some of those differences or how that might work well i mean i can tell you a little bit in in this industry you know um in a union shop you know what kind of hours you're going to get they're not you know constantly changing we really want to fight for you know stability and scheduling so a person can have a life outside of work you know they're going to know that they're going to get paid for the hours that they work it isn't going to be like oh well we don't have it today they're going to be paid properly and and you know they're not going to necessarily be paid in medicine or and or product they're going to get real money because you know they all have bills to pay, real bills to pay, right? The tax collector isn't going to collect product. So, I mean, at least in this industry, those are some of the things that they can expect. They can also expect that they're going to be well-trained. You know, we're going to demand that, that workers are provided good training. So that relates to their ability to go home safely, that their customers get a quality product that does what it says and says what it does, and that at the end of the day, you know, the employer can be successful because the consumer will be satisfied with the, the purchase that they make or the experience that they have in their shop. So um, I think that's one of the main differences between you know, having a union shop and a non-union shop is that there's a lot of 
unknowns out there. And the day can be very different. It really does emphasize that consumers are going to benefit in a union shop, not just the workers. Absolutely. That that's that's just super. And then, is this hard to do? I mean, is this a complicated process for a, a shop to suddenly join the union? Well, it doesn't have to be. You know, it can be. You know, I mean, organizing can be hard if the employers want to be hard. They don't need to be. If if you know. If they want to sit down and really kind of codify, you know, good standards for their employee, and, and you know, that's an easy process. We sit down and we act like adults. You know, of course, there's always compromise. That's not a bad world, word in our industry. Um, but that can be done relatively quick and painlessly. Uh, there's the other, the other uh, avenue of which, you know, workers – you want some respect and, and a voice at work. The employer uh, decides that they don't want to share power. Uh, they want to control everything. And then they go out and they hire, you know, really nasty attorneys to really scare and intimidate their, their workers. Now, that wouldn't be a, an avenue that I would recommend. You know, even if I were in their shoes, you know, I would, you know, having worked in both sides, you know, I totally would see the benefit of sitting down and bargaining a collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> It sounds like you're as much therapist and mediator as you are union organizer in a way, then. You you can be. You know, look, employees make mistakes, too. I spend a lot of my time talking to our members about, you know, you need to do a good day's work for a good day's pay. We're going to fight for you to make sure you have great working conditions, but you've got to respect these things. So, yes, on both sides of this, we be- become often the mediator slash counselor, you know, all of the above. We're family. Really, it is. It's just like any other family dynamic. We're not going to let our family members down. We're going to talk to people when we think our family's done something wrong. Uh, we're going to coach them so they don't make those mistakes again. But at the end of the day, we rally behind our family. So, Jeff, I, I often get folks saying uh, unions are just uh, a slippery slope to communism. Can you dispute some of those ideas? Wow. You know, um, Generally, that comes out of people that either don't understand what the union does or aren't willing to share in their ability to provide, you know, a good working environment for the communities in which they serve. Um, You know, we're not communists by any means. Uh, I would say, you know, that we do care about the greater good than the individual good. Uh, We believe that everybody does better when the ship rises rather than a race to the bottom. So if that if that's what they define as that, then you know I can't control that. Thanks, Jeff. I'm also curious. A lot of folks say somehow unions are going to send our jobs overseas, or we're going to lose jobs. Can you dispute that idea? Well, you know, if you look at the industries that we represent, um, you know, retail is the fastest growing industry in the country. You really can't ship overseas, you know, traditional retail jobs. Um, if you look at the products that we produce, you know, like fruits and vegetables and things like that, which are consumables, most that's probably the most exported item that the U.S. produces because there's a lot of trust in the quality of our food, food sources. And cannabis, which would be consumable, uh, would be one of those things 
And I would actually think potentially we could have a huge insourcing of work into our country because, you know, as we move not just with cannabis for, you know, medicinal purposes or adult use, we've got this entire movement towards hemp as well that is good for, you know, the fuel industry, for textile industry, and, you know, a lot of those central states that we have have plenty of land where we can move that crop in and really create some good jobs. That sounds delightful. That, that's really super. And so, I mean, it really does seem like you end up with happier employees, with employers who then get benefits from that, with less turnover, a chance to uh, you know, be able to rely on a subset of folks and really uh, have a union shop that can develop some brand loyalty and uh, a regular set of customers. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm neat to, you know, I'm happy to hear that this doesn't necessarily have to mean higher prices for consumers. It's definitely not communism and uh, it uh, isn't going to, you know, send jobs overseas. So I think that's, that's really a, a huge plus. I agree a hundred percent. Well, I think we've had a, a great time here. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we've had Jeff Farrow here from the uh, United Food and Commercial Workers Union and, uh, can't thank you enough for joining us on Burning Issues. Well, thank you, Dr. Mitch. I, 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 if I could close, I'd like to say, you know, it's not very often, you know, in this country we get to, to participate in the growth of a new industry. And so many of our existing industries have gone in the wrong direction. If we all work together, we can make these the great jobs that, you know, Americans deserve, our country deserves, the economic growth for the communities that we need, and, and it'd be a win-win for everybody. Oh, superb. So we've had Jeff Farrow here from the UFCW, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thanks for turning in to Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. Right? <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, a fitness writer, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Like many of the million people who are living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every single day. And sometimes my nerves are so raw that if you brushed up against me in an elevator, I'd scream. I can't sleep at night from the pain, 
and sometimes the spasms in my legs are so intense they will wake me up throughout the night. I've tried the strongest prescription medications available, and I'm going to tell you, they do not work. In fact, they leave me in a stupor, and most of the time, it's impossible to even live your life. Now, I've tried medical marijuana, and I'm going to tell you something, it works. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. Thanks for turning in to Burning Issues. Dr. Mitch Earlywine here with this week's Self-Compassion and the Art of Activism. This part of the show focuses on how we can take good care of ourselves and each other to help the cannabis crusade. I want to talk a minute about one idea that can help us end misery, and the idea is my thoughts are not reality. Mountains of data show that our thoughts and our actions and our moods are all intertwined. Taking our thoughts just a little less seriously can help us feel better. This is the key to cognitive behavioral therapy, but if I had to boil it down to sort of a bumper sticker, it would read, you don't have to believe everything you think. Thoughts come and go. They bounce around our heads like a drunken monkey. No need to turn them into something they're not. Most of them are really automatic. Peanut butter and... Baba Black. See how your mind just kind of jumps right in? Those thoughts happen automatically whether they're right or not. So confusing what we think with the truth, like two capital T's, can be a real bummer. Because some of our thoughts can make us feel bad, and they're not even true. But we can learn to recognize the rough ones, and that's how we intervene. One way to spot unhelpful thoughts is to know them when we see them, or think them. If we have names for the maladaptive thoughts, then we'll know them when we think them, sort of like the way Eskimos have their billion words for snow and can identify different ones, right? So let's focus on one kind of maladaptive thought, all-or-nothing thinking. All-or-nothing thinking, uh, or the geeks call it dichotomous thinking, can really drive people nuts. You know these when you think them. It's all black or it's all white, and there are no shades of gray in between. You know, of course, that just wrecks the glorious technicolor of our world. And what a surprise, these dichotomous thoughts tend to lead to depression. But we hear them all the time, friend or foe, sacred or profane, rich or poor, as if everything's one category or another. In fact, the world doesn't work like that. One of my favorite dichotomous thoughts actually came from a client's track coach, and he said, second best is the same as last. Wow, can you imagine? That would bum out Mother Teresa. Second place is the same as last. That's not true. Second place is silver medal. It's not at all the same as last. And then, see, rarely is any situation a complete disaster, maybe global thermonuclear war, but odds are high that whatever happens doesn't always qualify as a total catastrophe. It's just that we think about it that way. Dichotomous thoughts usually include words like always or never or every or none, and that's one way to recognize them. They often pop up right when something a little bit bad happens, and they tend to make it seem a whole lot worse. So I stub my toe and I think, ugh, why do these disasters always happen to me? And then I notice keywords like always and disaster. Sure, as if stubbing my toe is like global thermonuclear war. 
And the fact that I stubbed my toe once doesn't mean it's the only thing that's ever happened to me. So once we recognize them, what do we do when thoughts like this pop up? Our minds move fast, so it helps to stay vigilant. But as soon as we catch a thought like this, we're just going to pat it on the head. We're going to say, oh, there's my mind again, thinking that thought. Why do these disasters always happen to me? Isn't it strange? But when I see a thought like this, I can take a closer look at the evidence. And I might conclude, actually, uh, the stub toe isn't really a disaster. And in fact, other things happen to me besides stub toes, like dinners out, sex, cool podcasts, and the list goes on and on. This new way of thinking is not going to turn sad things into happy ones, but it's going to make debilitating negative emotions into tolerable negative emotions. So a stubbed toe is still going to hurt, and it's still a bit of a bummer, but it doesn't have to ruin my whole day. But if I spend every moment fuming about it, about how my life is nothing but a series of stubbed toes, well, you can imagine how my mind is rotted. Oh, this kind of thing always happens to me. I'm never going to get over this stubbed toe. I must never stub my toe again. I'm going to end up with gangrene and die, right? But as you can see, one irrational thought can lead to even more. Dichotomous thinking often leads to other maladaptive ideas. And I usually can catch these with musts and shoulds. Albert Ellis, the famous psychologist, dubbed this masturbation. And I assure you, masturbation is a lot less fun than anything it sounds like. Suddenly, I think I must do something when in fact I just could. Instead of preferring one action to another... I have to. I guess I think it's just, uh, it's not global thermonuclear war. I don't have to do it this way. And, you know, I could wear steel toe boots 24-7, but I don't have to. It's not a must, it's a could. When stubbed toes aren't global thermonuclear war, I don't have to feel compelled to intervene with some Doc Martens. These thoughts are going to pop up in our monkey minds in the strangest ways. We might think, I must never have a dichotomous thought. But of course, that's a maladaptive thought too. So when we're feeling bad, check on those thoughts, see if they really line up with reality, and then let them move along. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. My enthusiastic thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco and our special guest, UFCW's Jeff Farrow. Thanks so much for joining us on Burning Issues. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.